Today's special emergency political edition of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor, the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. With just two taps on your phone, you can instantly buy SeatGeek tickets to an event, have them delivered to your phone, and enter the event. Drop your old ticket app, use the one that's built for 2016. Again, you can do everything on your phone. Download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Also brought to you by HBO and my show, Any Given Wednesday. Wednesdays, 10 p.m. And theringer.com which is sponsored by Miller Lite and we have had a ton of good content for Cleveland Week and speaking of Cleveland on the line Jacko <laughs> My, speaking of Cleveland that's the first time I've ever been associated with Cleveland it's exciting <laughs> you uh, really should have sent me to Cleveland as your as the ringer RNC uh, what do you call it journalist there that would have been great I, uh, I, I think we would have sent you there and maybe you don't come back that's the problem, yeah. I'm just floating down the river. Or you're in jail. Uh, probably, yes. Either, either is a likely scenario. So people have been asking for, for your thoughts on stuff. We've had the Keeping It 1600 podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, and people have wanted uh, Jacko. They've wanted his the Republican take. You have been on my podcast since 2007. Uh, you've established yourself as a voice of the Yankees as a fan of the Republican party and a fan of the Pogues, not in that order. Uh, yeah. Right. What, what was last night like for you when, when the party had, had Scott Bayo and Antonio Sabato jr. And then a plagiarized <laughs> Melania Trump speech, like just what, run us through the gamut of emotions you were feeling. Well, I mean, ever since, just to give you some background, my father was involved in politics on a local level in Hartford. Yeah. And I grew up in a political family. It was politics to my family was as the Celtics were to yours. Yeah. So you can imagine if Donald Trump took over the Boston Celtics or, or you know, if they were bought by um, Donald Sterling. Yeah. Like what your emotions would be like. That's sort of what my emotions are like. Um, and I've always, you know, having been involved as a fan and, you know, a political aficionado for all of, literally all of my life. And the conventions were always a big thing. And, you know, my father and I would hash it out and talk it over and we would watch it, that gavel to gavel coverage and analyze it and do all that stuff. And so, you know, my father has sadly passed away, but I have continued that affinity for politics and through 2012 and what have you. And this year, collectively has been just such train wreck can't even like sum up just how, how much of a, an abortion it is really it's just such a flaming disaster dumpster fire doesn't even do it justice how, how awful it is so i was going to stay away last night basically since trump has locked up the nomination i i've tried to avoid political things as long as possible because it's just too heartbreaking for me frankly so i wasn't going to watch it even though I felt just sort of, you know, duty bound as a, you know, fan of politics and student of history and what have you to watch. But I said, I'm not going to watch. I, there's just not enough alcohol to get me through this. I was going to avoid it. And then I, of course, was on t- looking at Twitter yesterday. And there was a big convention fight about the rules committee. And there's nothing more fun than like convention fights like that. I've been involved in some of that stuff on a local level. And it really gets your adrenaline going. And I got all ginned up. And I was so excited. And <laughs> ironically speaking of the Keeping It 1600 podcast, I made a joke and said, oh, hopefully Scott Bayo can heal this rift. And then somebody said, John Favreau stole your joke because he made a similar joke. Oh. So I, I chalked it up to all each. The alumni think alike. Yes, there's no question. In retrospect, I in retrospect, I should have said he stole. If you like your doctor, you keep your doctor from me. But I was trying to keep it bipartisan for ringer purposes. So I appreciate um, that. 
<laughs> so, so two HC alums made a made a similar Scott Bayo joke, and I, I couldn't. I didn't realize, frankly, that Scott Bayo was going to be on as early as he was because I would have tuned in for Scott Bayo. I would have tuned in for Antonio Sabato Jr. just for the train wreck aspects of it, like watching a car crash. But I didn't watch that. But then I was following on Twitter and. Like an idiot, I turned it on, and I did see Melania Trump's speech, and then I watched General Flynn's disaster of a speech, and then I watched Joni Ernst's empty hallway, empty hall uh, during the headlights speech. So I, I, I miss Sabato and Bayo, sadly. Bayo was incredible, and <laughs> I think he was as surprised as all of us that he that he got the call. He's, I was saying we had some of the writers from the TV show. We watched the first hour together. And you have Sabato Jr. and Bayo, who could not get a movie made together, but exactly. somehow ended up on the Republican convention. I thought that was especially incredible. Like, Antonio Sabato Jr. probably couldn't get in Sharknado, right? Like, <laughs> Sharknado 6 or whatever we're up to. Bayo like, could. Like, he's not even like on their Bayo list could. to call. Well, What's that? Bayo could get into Sharknado Bayo 6. Bayo could get Sabato, in Sharknado, no. but they're, they're not calling Sabato Jr., right? I think now, maybe. I think maybe he elevated his own status enough. Maybe Sharknado is a possibility now. <laughs> they, they can build Sharknado 7 as starring Antonio Savato Jr. as seen at the Republican National Convention. It's like his credit on IMDb. Uh, so I sat, I'm a little bummed out that I missed that because literally, like I said last night, I'm like, this is like a Saturday Night Live skit. Because if you had all you know writers for your show or writers for Saturday Night Live or just anybody who could, who was going to come up with a, a parody or a satire of politics in the Donald Trump era, and they were to suggest that the opening night of the convention would feature Scott fucking Bayo, I mean <laughs> nobody the, the editor would throw it away. They couldn't believe it. They're like no, not Scott Bayo. I think if you and I had been in a room trying to figure out the funniest guests that could have been in the or funniest speakers for day one. Bayo would have been, made the list, and I think we also would have gone with Josh Saviano from the Wonder Years. I think also would have been on there. <laughs> he was a running joke for us in high school. It would have That's been right. nice to see him again. That's right. It would have been good to see Josh come back again. And I, tonight they're having Natalie Gulbis yeah. about 10 years after she was a thing, you know, the golfer. And and then t I think tomorrow night they're having some woman who I had a Google and it turns out she's like on the Bold and the Beautiful or Young and the Restless, like a soap opera actress. I and if you're talking about soap opera actresses and it's not Susan Lucci, everyone else is going to have to Google who the hell the person is. Yeah, soap opera right? star is a tough Chiron. I'm disappointed. <laughs> Another one of my dream speakers, and he's probably not Republican, which why he was why he wasn't invited. But I think Jonathan Lipnicki would have been unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Would have liked to have seen him now. I hear he's in better shape. He's probably available. Tonight they have Dana White from the USC, noted Republican and political strategist. So that, that'll be great. I guess he'll tell us all how, you know, if you buy in on UFC and it really hits it big, you know, you can really make a lot of money in this economy. I, I'm not quite sure what his rationale is either. They really have Dana White? He's actually oh, like, yeah. relevant. Yeah, at least he's, yes, at least he's like a well-known name. We had Brian Curtis. We sent him to Cleveland from The Ringer. And he did a, his first piece last night was about how the celebrities who have been the celebrities who have been kind of outwardly Republican have just shied yeah. away for the right. most part. It's it's amazing to me that none of you know, them for years. We for years we had Tom Selleck and Cheryl Ladd. 
Yeah. That was that got us through like the Reagan years. But you know, with Reagan, you brought some star power because you had like Sinatra. He had some Hollywood cachet with Reagan, but yeah, we we had Selleck kind of you know his his flame kind of star star factor kind of burned out. So yeah, then, then you get into like your you know with Chuck Norris, hmm. you know a lot of country a lot of country singers, always a lot of country singers. But yeah, in terms of actual Hollywood, Gary Sinise I think is is somewhat of a closeted Republican. He wouldn't be out there though. Or he's. I think the problem is like, if you look at this convention, the reason they have Scott Bayo and Antonio Sabato, and where normally they would have rising stars of the party, and sen- and relevant sitting senators and Congress people, is that they're all running, screaming away from this dumpster fire, and figure we're going to take it on the chin in 2016, and we need to stay as far away from this and not not be covered in the slime and the ick of this, and let's rebound in 2020. So everybody that would normally be at a convention is running for the hills. Did you enjoy the Trump? Pence 60 Minutes interview. Did you see that one? <laughs> no, I missed it. I did. I saw hi- highlights such as they were, and like you know, the Saddam Hussein 1985 era gold lame chairs. That was a nice touch. It's good, it's good furnishings there. But I frankly missed it and happily missed the train wreck. So it sounds like interview. it sounds like you're in hiding. It sounds like you've just. Basically. It's almost like when the, when a Boston team has a really horrible year, and I just stop watching the games completely. I have no idea what's yeah. going on. That's that's what's going on for you. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I literally don't watch the news. I, I since like April or May, when it became obvious he was going to be the nominee, I, I don't watch the news. We watch a lot of, a lot of HGTV, a lot of DIY, <laughs> a lot of History Channel, you know, stuff like that. I, I don't watch the news. Yeah, it's just it's very depressing. It's, so what, it's, it's the most depressing thing that's ever happened to me, frankly. Well, on, other than death. on a non-personal level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what happens? What happens to the Republican Party now? What's what's your expert take on where this goes? Well, I think this is going to be a defining train wreck for a generation because I don't care what the polls say, where it's close now and it's neck and neck. I mean, they're the two most hated candidates in the history of the republic, which why there hasn't been anybody that has decided to run a third, a credible third-party challenge is beyond me. You know, a Romney, a Lieberman, someone of a national stature, I don't care what party, you know, Bob Kerry, somebody doesn't get in and say, this, we deserve better than this choice, you know? Yeah. Uh, it mystifies me. So I think, but at the end of the day, Trump is going to just be too much of a pariah for anybody to act, actually, anybody with a brain to think deserves to be within 30 miles of the Oval Office. So Hillary is going to win. And then Republicans are going to be in the wilderness. And I mean, I think that, you know, the RNC is has shown itself to be, you know, roll over like a puppy and be completely pathetic with no spine. So, I mean, I don't know. Hillary, if they get a, if they get the Senate and they get in there and they change immigration laws, I mean, that's the end of the Republican Party for the foreseeable future. Now, there's always these things, well, after Obama won, the Republicans will never be back. And then, you know, they took the House and Senate back in 2010. They, you know, lost in 2012. They took the, they, they increased their gains in the Senate and the House in 2014. So you never really want to write a death knell for one of the two major parties. But it's, it's not good. Bad. Who do terrible. You, who do you blame the most for letting this happen, who could have run instead and stopped this? Well, I don't know if anybody could have run and stopped it. I mean, the problem was there was too many candidates of 17 people, and it was too diluted. And so Trump's celebrity was able to overcome, you know, the dilution of that many people. They couldn't get their message out. I blame 
Rents Priebus, who is the most feckless, worthless leader of anything in the history of mankind, probably, who should have nipped this in the bud a year ago. And I blame Fox News that was all in on Trump for some reason and obviously has a lot of influence within the you know Republican voter and the Republican electorate. And they were all in on Trump from the beginning for whatever reason. They used to let him call into their morning show and pontificate once a week as if he was an expert on anything besides bankrupting casinos. So that was outrageous. So I, I would say they have the, the most blame. I mean, you had... You know, poor Jeb Bush, who thinks that that's what America wanted was another Bush in the White House. And he had a $150 million war chest that, you know, he used to attack Rubio and other guys that he was threatened by. And, and nobody took Trump seriously was the problem. Yeah. Early on, nobody thought this is anything beyond a joke. And I still think it's a joke. I still don't think he wants to be president. I think he accident he I don't think he wanted to win the nomination. I think he wanted to come in the top two or three and say it was stolen from me and oh, you know, the party is all rigged against me and he could have, you know, raised his celebrity, raised his stature to the degree that's possible and not actually have to contemplate being president. So I think he's scared to death, really, that he could actually win this thing. He seems like he's in some sort of maniacal state now because of Maybe when you, when you have that much power, the potential of that much power, you just kind of lose your mind a little bit. Like his interviews well, I mean, are just rambling and crazy. I read some interesting articles about him in the past couple of days. There was one in the New Yorker. I think it was in the New Yorker yesterday from the guy who wrote his uh, actually wrote the Art of the Deal, his business book. And there's been other things written about this along the course of the campaign. And and he even for his alleged money and all of his, you know, names on buildings and what have you. But he suffers from an inferiority complex because he was from Queens, and I think he's always been sort of laughed at by the big – he and his father were sort of laughed at as, like, low rent by the big players in Manhattan. And I think he's always had a chip on his shoulder. So this is – even though he, you know, dominated the tabloids and what have you, I think this is all about – getting over his inferiority complex and saying, like, he's like Fredo. I'm smart. I'm not dumb like they say. Right. It's about the fifth time I think I've related him on a podcast to Fredo, but it's just so <laughs> apt that it can't be helped. So I really think that's what he – it's like, you know, he's going to prove all the haters and the people that doubted him wrong. And even if it takes destroying the country or potentially the world, he's going to do it and show them who's boss. I haven't read the right piece why a third person hasn't run. I assume that the reason would be they were they'd be afraid that they'd pull votes away from Clinton and actually propel Trump yeah, to the I presidency think, and make them make I, themselves villains almost. I think that's part of it, but I mean there was a poll out the other day, I think it was from NBC and the Wall Street Journal and it said that Trump has like a 61% disapproval rating, 61 or 64. It's the highest that's ever been measured in the history of this poll. Right. The second highest is Hillary Clinton at like 55 or something. Yeah. So you have two candidates. Like, I mean, I have a, a number of Democrat friends who are who don't love Hillary Clinton, aren't gung ho for her. Right. But you know, she was the fait accompli of the party, and there's nothing they can do. And I, and there's plenty of Republicans. I mean, the, any, the only justification I've ever heard from any Republican for Trump is, well, we can't let Hillary win. Well, that's not a justification for voting for somebody. I don't think either one of them deserves to be president. So, yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't understand. I mean, it's hard to run for president. It takes a toll on your family. Everything you've ever said and everything your wife or, or husband has ever said is going to be litigated in the press and gone over with a fine-tooth comb. It costs you a lot of money. You know, it can, it can cause problems. I get all that. But you know, it was a time in this country when patriotism and love of country trumped your own personal concerns. But I, I don't know. People are too – I can understand. You know, Romney ran twice and lost. You run a third time. It's tough to run and lose. I get that. But there's times when your country asks bigger things of you and it's, you know, to save the party and save the country. 
But I had, know, uh, Romney would pull from Trump, so I don't think that he has any concerns about, you know, he's going to get a lot of Hillary voters. But if you got enough independents and you got enough of the Republican base and she's wildly unpopular, the Sanders people stay home, you could strike lightning in a bottle. Yeah, I want to know where this generation's Ross Perot is, just the crazy third-party guy who's almost as crazy as <laughs> Well, he took as over Trump. the Republican Party. <laughs> That's true. The crazy billionaire took over the Republican Party this time. He basically became Trump. I said on a podcast on it with Wesley on Friday that it, this whole election reminds me of when I would be reading about the Browns quarterback training camp battles every year, <laughs> and it would just these, be like Jake DeLome and Seneca Wallace, and be like, oh, man. Like it's just, there's no way that team's not going three and thirteen, and now our whole right. country is the Browns. Uh, that's a good. That's a good analogy. It's like, oh man, it's is there a third candidate? Oh, there isn't. Oh, th- so this is it. But I mean, at least you know, if you're going to really break it down, like at least Hillary Clinton has served in offices and done. Yeah, things. I mean, I think she's a liar and an awful <laughs> human being. But yeah, I mean. She knows which country is which. I'm not sure Trump knows the difference between France and England, you know, literally. So, you know, she could call up the prime minister of England and knows that there is a prime minister and that England is a country. You know, that's it's it's, just annoys me to no end. This notion of president. Well, we we keep electing politicians and now he's not a politician. We need to shake it up. Like Francesa is a big Trump guy. I haven't listened to Francesa in forever. Like, would Francesa think that we should pick a guy off the street who has never watched baseball and he should be the manager of the Yankees? Well, we've cut all these managers. We haven't made the playoffs in eight years, so we're going to put in a guy that's never seen a baseball game before and let him run things. What other walk of life would you ever do that? But, well, Trump, he's never been in politics. Let's put him in the presidency. It, it was fantastic the, plan. It was the plot for Eddie with Whoopi Goldberg. I think they <laughs> right. did make the playoffs. To be fair, <laughs> hadn't and, yeah, but hadn't wasn't she like a Knicks fan though? Yeah, well, Trump was yeah, a fan is. of power. Yeah, but he has no con- he has no clue about politics, international relations. He has no clue about the economy. He has no clue about anything. Eddie might and be we're a bad person. We're going to put him in charge. Yeah. Wow. I, I well, I mean, it's great. He's uh, he's an outsider. He's going to come in and really blow everything up. Literally, great, awesome. I was God, re- shoot me. I was reading. Uh, th- there's a book that came out like nine years ago called The Black Swan, and it was about how when you have these unexpected events um, that nobody can see coming, and part of the reason they're so powerful is nobody could see them coming, and then the ramifications of those events after. And it's called a black swan. And I was thinking over the weekend, I was like, well, you know, Trump actually winning would be like like a legitimate black swan event. And Oh, God, yeah. And I Googled it. I was like, this is a great idea. And I Googled it, and like 40 people have written that, <laughs> written that piece. Piece <laughs> of the punch. Yeah. It was, well, it, well, that's the thing. There. I mean, if, God forbid, he ever won. And, you know, I, I never thought he'd win in the primary. So, obviously, take my ideas with a huge grain of salt. But I, I just don't – I can't see him winning a national election. It's one thing to appeal to – you know, 30% of the hardcore hardcore base of the Republican Party or appeal to independents that vote in Republican primaries, which is really what put them over the top and disaffected Democrats and, hmm. you know, uh, undereducated white middle class, lower middle class people. That's who we got in the Republican Party. But I don't think there's enough of those voters to get them over the top in a national election. But God forbid, stranger things have happened, you know. I mean, you know, in this in this day and age, like if Kim, Card- Kim Kardashian could probably get elected president. So if people just vote on celebrity and that's all they know, you, you, might, you know, he could sneak in there. You never know. Would you God vote for us. 
Would you vote for Trump Pence or Sabato Bayo? <laughs> I would vote for Sabato Bayo, but I, I don't think I think Antonio Sabato. I think I read he was born in Italy, so I think he he's unfortunately he's got the, he can't be yeah he can't be under the Constitution. He can't be the president. Do you feel like Melania Trump plagiarized the speech, or was she set up by a speechwriter trying to sabotage the? Campaign. Well, you know what? It, what? Everybody's all into the plagiarism, and, and justifiably so, but I saw on the internet today, and I think it was Vox.com, and they, they talked about the Rickroll that was in there, because yeah. there was a line in there, he's never going to give give up and never going to let you down or whatever. So there was an old skit on Saturday Night Live where Chris Farley was like a guy that kept relapsing, and Phil Hartman was his father, and he kept trying to get him jobs. And yeah. There was one where he was like delivering organs, and he brought in like a liver from the stop and shop, like wrapped in plastic. And then he was like, kept screwing up. And I like to think the speechwriter was just like, oh my gosh, that speech due today? <laughs> so he's like, oh shit. And he's like, Google's first lady speeches, copied it, and then threw in some Rick Astley. Like, here it is. Oh, or was or he's just trolling everybody and is going to become a <laughs> I would love hero. if it was a troll. Like, there's a never Trump person in there. And it was just like, let me see what I can get away with. If there was ever a campaign where somebody could have inserted himself in the campaign as a saboteur, oh, God, yeah. this is the one. Uh, yeah, all you have to do is say, oh, Mr. Trump, you're so wonderful. You look wonderful today. And he'd be like, hire that man. So Great. Uh, well, we might check in with you later in the week if you haven't moved to Canada yet. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm sure there'll be more incompetence to follow that I'll be commenting on. So Thanks to uh, thanks to Jacko. Thanks to SeatGeek. Thanks to Miller Lite. Thanks to HBO. And thanks for listening to this emergency edition of the BS <laughs> Podcast. Hang in there, Johnny. Thanks, buddy. Anytime y'all want to see me again. Rewind this track right here, close your eyes, and picture me rolling.